It was on January the 3rd, 1938, 78 years ago, that the National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis was begun. It was started by then our president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. You remember that FDR had had polio. It's a disease that mainly strikes children, but it struck FDR when he was 39 years old. He survived, but it left him crippled for the rest of his life. And so it was that he saw this need to help fight against polio here in the United States and around the world. You see, polio was just out of control. We didn't know how to stop it. We didn't know how to cure it. And whenever it struck children, it would just devastate their lives, so often taking them lives, or they had to be in an iron lung to breathe, to get through the disease, at best to be left crippled. No polio scared everyone. And so it was, 78 years ago, they decided to start this, the um, National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis. It turned out that they had gotten a group together before then in order to try to start figuring out how do you launch this thing? How do you get people excited about it and do something with it? And so they got Basil O'Connor to be the president of this new foundation. And he began drawing up a plan on how to have all kinds of local chapters across the United States in order to help raise money and on how to provide aid to a family whenever polio struck. In the meantime, there was a man named Eddie Cantor. Eddie Cantor was a comedian. He was someone who was a radio, TV personality. He was an actor and a singer. And they got together with a small group of people and said, we've got to find a way to, to kick this thing off. They thought of how did people find out about things in that day. To get news, you did not go and watch ABC News at 5.30 in the evening. You didn't go online to research whatever it was that was happening in the world. No, the way you got news in those days, you went to the movie theater. And there were newsreels. And the name of the newsreel was The March of Time. And so it was Eddie Cantor who dreamed up and said, Why don't we have The March of Dimes? And what if we invited everybody to send in a dime to the White House to express our support to the president of this whole new project. And so it was a few days after they had launched this uh, NFIP foundation that they began to come out with radio spots. Eddie had gone and talked to people like Bing Crosby and Jack Benny and Rudy Valley, getting the support of his friends all to help cut these 30-second spots. They got them donated by Hollywood, and soon the whole nation was hearing about this new project. After about a week, they had received $17.25 in dimes. Now, you know, a dime was worth a lot more in 1938 than it is today, it, but it still was, um, it, it meant something, and, and every child could do this. A child, a new mother, a grandfather, everybody could do it. Well, the word continued to go out and suddenly it started picking up steam and picking up steam. More and more letters started showing up to the White House and finally after two weeks they had received 80,000 letters. And then it kept picking up more and more until finally on January the 29th, 
Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation by radio, and here's what he had to say. During the past few days, bags of mail have been coming literally by the truckload to the White House. Yesterday, between 40 and 50,000 letters came to the mail room of the White House. Today, an even greater number. How many, I cannot tell you, for we can only estimate the actual count by counting the mail bags. In all the envelopes are dimes and quarters and even dollar bills. Gifts from grown-ups and children, but mostly from children who want to help other children to get well. And so the money began to come. The groups began to form. And this organization began to spread out across America. And then in 1945, FDR suddenly died. By 1946, it was decided to put his image on the dime. And whenever you pick up a dime today, the image on the dime is FDR. Forever linking FDR to the March of Dimes, the search for a cure of polio. It was a good thing we had started the foundation because in 1949 there was an epidemic across the United States. So many people had their lives turned upside down. And this new foundation was able to be there to continue to provide support to all these families, all these children, as well as beginning to make grants to physicians to try to do research. One of the physicians they gave a grant to to do research was a doctor named Jonas Salk. And Jonas Salk went to work not finding a cure, but trying to find a vaccine, a prevention. And in 1954, he felt he had it, and they decided to have a, a clinical trial with 1.8 million children who became known as the polio pioneers. And it was so successful. So successful that they turned around in April of 1955 and they began offering the vaccine all across America. And the ravages of polio came to an end. Now it's fascinating how today you have organizations like Rotary International and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation joining with March of Dimes, and they are trying to eradicate polio from the world. And they are so close. We have come so far in 78 years. But the foundation began to realize that they had come so far by 1958, now with the vaccine, and so they began to change their mission a little bit to birth defects. What do we do to prevent birth defects in children? And then it was in 1960, they supported, they supported another doctor who began to focus on premature babies. What do you need to do for premature babies in order to make sure they get the help they need at the time they need it so they don't have long-term ill effects? The lady was Dr. Virginia Apgar. She looked at it and said, you know, you need color. You need to check their color. You need to check respiration. You've got to check reflexes. She came up with five things and created an APGAR score. It's something that every baby still gets today when it is born. And it came about through Dr. Virginia APGAR in 1960 working with the March of Dimes. It was in 1979 that they did change their name from the NFIP to the March of Dimes Birth Defects Foundation. But what I think is amazing 
is it all goes back to the 1930s and 40s when you had more than 3,000 local chapters across the nation representing more than a million people, so many children who are willing to walk door to door for a march asking for a dime. Getting people involved to say that I care, I'm going to choose to help, that I'm going to be kind. They changed the world. In our scripture lesson today, we read about Jesus on the night of the Last Supper with His 12 disciples. And He says to them, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's really by this that all people are going to know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Those 12 would shrink to 11. One would fall away. But those 11 would go out and they would live in such a spirit of sharing God's love that others came and others came and they literally have changed the world. We know that at St. Luke's, our mission is to share God's love and bring hope to the world. It's how we change the world. You know, for the last five years now, we've had a theme every year. I think we've had a good time doing it. Something sort of new. I mean, five years ago, we had the gratitude, the year of gratitude, and we encouraged everybody to write thank you notes. And then the next year we had the year of the golden rule where we all talked about what does it mean to treat others the way we want to be treated. The next year we talked about carpe diem, seize the day, don't wait to live life. And then this last year we've done something for the first time in which we've been reminded we need to do things for the first time. And I've had so many of you come up and say, I did this for the first time, Bob. Well, this year we want to do something a little different. This year what we want to do for the year is we want to have the Kindness Project. The Kindness Project of St. Luke's. And what I want to ask out of you today is to make a decision, to make a commitment that you're going to provide one act of kindness a day for the next year. It is leap year, so you've got to do it 366 times. Not 365, but we're going to try for 366 times to do an act of kindness each day. Maybe to a family member, maybe to someone you work with, a friend, a stranger. Now to help you keep track of how you're doing, when you come today to receive Holy Communion, we're going to wind up giving you a, a, a wristband. And it says, The Kindness Project. On the inside it says, Be kind every day. And what I want to invite you to do is to wear it on your, your right hand when you start the day. And then as you go through the day, when you have the opportunity and you make a conscious decision that you're going to be kind, then you get to take it off and move it to your left hand. As you notice, it's still on my right hand today. But you can move it to your left hand, and when you come to the end of the day, you'll know you did something kind, and you'll think about it. Now, i got to tell you that for the last month, I've been trying this out. Before I ask you to do something, I try it out on myself. I'm not just going to throw something on you before I know what I'm asking out of you. So I've been trying this, and 
the bracelets just came in a few days ago, so what I've been doing, and I may still do, is I've been carrying our church coin. Whenever somebody joins the family of faith, we give them a church coin. And so I, I have my church coin, and I put it in my right pocket to start the day, and then whenever I do something kind, I take it out and I put it in my left pocket. Let me tell you what I've discovered. There are more days than I care to admit that the coin is still in my right pocket when I've been coming home. Now, it's not because I've been a bad person that day, but it sure is easy to go through the day, and I may be nice, I, things may, but there really had never been a time when I saw a need. I, I listened to a problem, and I did something to be kind. So often it just seems to be the day can go by. So I started thinking about it, and I thought, you know, we, we have about 5,000 members, uh, 7,000 members. We have 7,000 members. I know we have hundreds who actually watch online. I, I, we have thousands who watch on TV every single week. And I'm wanting to invite everybody, whether we watch online, watch on television, whether we're a part of this family of faith, to invite everybody who wants to be a part to be a part. And, and I'm predicting we can get at least 5,000 people to be a part of the Kindness Project. And I know that reality is we're not going to hit 366. I'm going to try, but I probably won't get 366. But I bet I can get at least 200. If we could average 200, and there's 5,000 of us in this family of faith doing it, that is one million acts of kindness in 2016. Just think what a million acts of kindness would do in our city. The ripple effect, the way it would go on. What a difference we could make. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this all people will know that you're my disciples. To be his disciple is to make the commitment that we're going to share his love and bring hope in the world. And we're going to do it this year through this kindness project. That's what I want us to think about. And there's just two thoughts I want to share today. First of all, you know, as you and I start the year, we want to hear Jesus say, this, I give you a new commandment. Jesus didn't sit around the table with the 12 disciples and say, I got a suggestion for you. He said, I got a new commandment for you. You're going to be his disciple? Here's the expectation. I got a new commandment for you. To love one another as I have loved you. The foundation of this whole project is we're living out of an understanding that we have been loved by God. That's where the whole project comes from. We have been loved by God. We've just come through the Advent season. We spent a whole month preparing our hearts for the birth of a baby, the birth of our King. We have said the birth of the baby is an expression of God's love. Today is Epiphany. Ever since the 4th century, the church has used the first Sunday of the new year to celebrate the wise men. The whole idea is that the birth of the baby 
you have Mary and Joseph and you have the wise men, God reveals His love to His chosen people, the Jews. But then you have the wise men who come who are Gentiles. And that represents that God's love is being revealed to the whole world, even to the Gentiles. And that's what Epiphany is about. That Epiphany is the day in which we celebrate God's love being revealed to the whole world. So God's love has been revealed to us. I hope that during Advent you had your daily devotionals. i got to tell you, that I really did well. I may have missed a few days of being kind, but I did pretty well with my devotional. I didn't miss a day. Now starting the new year, if I don't quit, maybe I continue to start each day remembering God's love for me. And then you live out of that to want to bless others. You know, one of my favorite authors is Karen Armstrong. Karen Armstrong, it's hard to believe, is now 71 years old. I've been reading her for years. She was born in England. She grew up in 1962. She was 18 years old, decided to become a nun. And she went into a convent. She'd be there for the next seven years as a postulate. And in the end, decided not to become a nun, but to go into academics. She's written books like The Case for God, The Battle for God, all kinds of books, and they're incredibly profound. But as Karen was, was doing this, she, she was going through this time of being in the convent, cut out from the outside world. She just didn't feel like she always fit. She was kind of like Maria in The Sound of Music. You know, she was always having lots of questions and kind of chafing at some of the discipline. And, and she always kind of felt outside. But after she'd been there for a while, the mother superior actually had cancer and was dying. She'd always been a very hard and strong lady, but she wanted to see Karen. And Karen said, it scared me to death. The mother superior is on her deathbed and she wants to see me. So she went to go see the mother superior and the mother superior said to her, child, when you came, I was told you will be a problem. I was told you're a problem. But I just wanted to tell you, you've not been a problem. You're a good girl. And I just wanted to tell you, God loves you. And I love you. That was all. And Karen left and she said, I, I thought about how this mother superior was in pain and dying. And yet she chose to be so kind to me. To tell me, you're not a problem. You're a good girl. And God loves you. She said, as I've gone through the years of my life and I've had those dark moments and hard times, I've gone back to remember that moment. And i got to tell you, that kindness changed my life. You and I have just come through Christmas. Today is Epiphany. I would hope that you and I would try to start each day where we grow still and remember we're not bad people. We're loved by God. We may have been less than we've been called to be. We've not been abandoned by God. God loves us. And if we can start with that foundation... It will be out of that that we live in a spirit of gratitude and want to bless life. 
In order to help us remember, whenever you leave today, we're going to have a, a flip calendar for you actually out there in the north. Some of you may have already seen some, picked some up. But we've designed a calendar specifically for us in this year. It says, The Kindness Project, St. Luke's United Methodist Church. And the whole idea is that you flip it each day and then there will be a saying, um, in any situation, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing you can do is the wrong thing. The worst thing you can do is nothing. And the next day actually happened to have been uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 on love. You'll find different statements each day that remind you that you've been loved by God. And so now we are called to go out and to love others. You're invited to go by, pick one up. They're free. Take it home, put it on your coffee table, breakfast table. Take one to your office, put it on your desk. It's just another way to force us to stop each day to remember you're loved by God. Now, choose to go out and to be kind, to show that love to another. Jesus said, a new commandment I have for you. Secondly, so what I'm really asking out of you today is a decision, a commitment to do one kind thing every day. Not to do something if you, the opportunity comes your way, but to go out of your way to find the opportunity. That's the difference. I have found that most of us, this is a good family of faith, if the opportunity comes, we usually respond with kindness. I'm not asking you to wait until the opportunity comes. I'm asking you to go out of your way and find the opportunity. That every day you're looking, you're listening, you seek out the opportunity to bless life. That's how you and I begin to help change this world. That's what the Kindness Project is really all about. I was reading a fascinating story about a young man named Jason Schwartz. When Jason was 13, back in 1995, it turned out that he was in junior high. He um, was a football player. He was a star football player. He did really well in school, made great grades, good-looking kid. You know, he was one of his kids who just had everything going for him, and he knew his dream in life, and he wanted to play in the NFL. And then his mother found some large lymph node knots on his neck took him into the doctor, and they determined it was leukemia. It's interesting how your life can turn on a dime. The next day, his parents checked him out of school. He took his first airplane ride ever, and they flew to St. Jude's. St. Jude's Children's Hospital, where there was a team of doctors and nurses waiting for him. They checked him in, and most of the next two years he would spend in St. Jude's. But because he was there, the treatment seemed to work. And he, so he did well. But while he was there, he, you know, he, he made a change. He decided that football probably wasn't for him. What he realized was there's so much they don't know about leukemia in 1995. And he decided he wanted to be a doctor. And so he went to school. He made his grades. He went to medical school. And now as a young man, he is a doctor at St. Jude's Children's Hospital. He is working beside the very doctors who saved his life. It's the place he wanted to come back and work. And the reason he wanted to come back and work there was not just to dispense great medical care, 
No, he wanted to come back to St. Jude's Hospital so that every day he really tries to listen. He tries to see. He sees the children who are really afraid. The children who are really discouraged, who are really down. And he goes to them. Not just for medical care. He goes to sit with them, to listen to them, to tell them, I was where you are. I understand. There is hope. He goes to the children to share from his heart and to give them hope. It is my prayer that that's what you and I will do in 2016, is that we will listen with our heart. We will look intentionally with our eyes every day. So we share from our heart a word of hope. We choose to be kind. The mission of our family of faith Very simple, to share God's love and bring hope to the world. Jesus said, a new commandment I have for you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciple, if you have love for one another. I'm asking that in 2016, I'm asking today, that when you come to receive the sacrament, you choose, you make a commitment to start each day remembering you're loved by God. And then a commitment to go out and perform an act of kindness each day. For truly, when you and I share God's love and bring hope to the world, we change the world. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.